Welcome, everyone. This is Ryan White, and I'm here with Dr. Dina Dye, and we are going to talk about parables today. This is going to be kind of a, an ongoing thing with us. Both of us have been really looking into the Gospels a lot, and both of us have become very fascinated with the parables that Yeshua told. And so what we want to do is have an ongoing series here on the podcast, just kind of going over uh, so this initial one, we're going to kind of go over what parables are and kind of connect those with what the gospel is and why Yeshua is telling those uh, in the, his gospel so much. It seems like it, it, you know, we see a couple parables in the Hebrew Bible, but then you get into the gospels and suddenly there's this explosion of them. So we're going to talk about that and just kind of what a parable is and everything about it. So uh, welcome, Dr. Dina Dye. Thank you, Ryan White. Great to be here. And uh a topic near and dear to my heart. I did a series, I guess about, I don't know, maybe eight months ago called The Parables from Exile to Return. So one of the things, because you and I, I mean, we basically have the same foundation, but we have a different perspective on it. So, I, you know, this past Sukkot, I listened to you share some about the parables and you had a, you know, a different perspective on it based on the culture and history of the time. And so one of the things we want to be able to show people is that, you know, we all have our filters, you know, we all have the place where we are that we see things. And so, you know, you, I think the parables were designed that way, that the hearer would interpret it from their life, you know, what their life experience is. And mm -hmm. so, I, you know, we're going to show some of that as we go through here. And, and really, um, Again, like you said, this is, you know, one of the M main M.O.s of Yeshua on, on how he taught. And, and to me, one of the things that really stands out is how much of the parables, you know, had to do with agriculture. I find that really fascinating. Yeah. Yep. There's a, quite a few with agriculture, right? And, um, uh, you know, obviously it being an, an agricultural world there, but I, I think there's... In my opinion, there's kind of more to it than that, too, the, rather than just that was how they the people could relate to them. Because uh, one of the things that, and I'll kind of start off here with one of the things that I found just fascinating when I really started studying parables, uh, you know, growing up as a kid, I always kind of thought of the parables as an easier way to, you know, a, a relatable way to teach a, a message, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. And... and you know, and then I started, you know, reading the, the scripture for myself and really started studying. And, it, you know, you kind of get hit with that. Wait a minute. It, it, it's actually not about making things easier. We find that right there in Matthew's uh, gospel. And I think it's in Matthew 10 or Matthew 13, where his disciples ask him, hey, you know, why are you telling things in parables? And he's like, uh, so that people won't understand <laughs> right. what I'm saying. I know it goes against everything, but yeah, uh, it, 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 it's kind of, I mean, I don't believe everything he was saying was for the purpose of just hiding truth, but right, it was definitely right. the case that certain ones were going to hear it and receive it. And other ones were not even going to have a clue. Yes. Um, and that, and that the reason for that kind of becomes clear. And I think that this is, this really kind of ties into this overall picture that I've really seen develop as I've studied uh, the gospel message. Uh, like what, you know, I'm not talking, you know, you've got the gospels, which they're really the four accounts of the one gospel. Right. 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 And, and so you sh uh, this whole idea with the gospel from my studies is really kind of actually misunderstood. This is something that I, I did teach at Sukkot and I've been kind of developing more. I, I actually just taught it. Uh, yesterday at our congregation, um, and that is that the church has really kind of missed what the gospel is. And this, by the way, this comes from a, a Christian author, Matthew Bates. He really made a, just an, a, a he has two books. The first, the, the one that I, I'm reading right now uh, is called Salvation by Allegiance Alone, and he just makes an outstanding case that uh, while it is true that we are saved by grace, that's not the gospel. <laughs> right. Uh, the, the gospel is the story about how God became king again. Uh, right. To, 
you know, which is what N.T. Wright speaks of. Yeah, I was going to say, and, and uh, G.K. Beale as well. G.K. Beale, yeah. There, there's a lot of scholars that are really latching on to this, and, and it becomes important because it shows why the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible is so important for understanding what Yeshua did, because it tells the story about how God created the world. He creates Adam and Eve to rule on his behalf, and they turn over that rule over to things that are not of God. And so God's uh, God's intent for Israel was to reclaim his rulership over the world because he's going to rule through people. Israel fails, and so he sends his own son, Yeshua, to complete the mission that Israel was sent to do, which is to restore his rulership. So the gospel is the story of how Yeshua became king and is currently king. Amen. No, I couldn't have said it better myself. And then, you know, we have sort of this confusing idea that we have Israel over here and Yeshua over there and never the twain shall meet. But yet the story of Israel becomes the story of Messiah, the story of what Israel is supposed to accomplish in mm -hmm. serving as God's representative kings and priests on the earth that, you know, they fail miserably. And so Yeshua steps in in the first century and, and acts that out. You know, I think about Isaiah 40 through 56 and we have these arguments over, you know, is that as the servant, you know, are we dealing with Israel? Are we dealing with Messiah? But the, yeah. the fact matters an overlay between the two because they both accomplish the same thing. And this idea of really of the restoration of the kingdom. And of course, the restoration of God's house, the cosmos, as we go through, you know, the story of Noah and into the patriarchs, etc., in order for his king to be able to sit on the throne and reign over the earth. So I think uh, I think that really does encapsulate. I think when we step back and see that seamless message from beginning to end, um, you know, hopefully people will receive this because that truly is what the gospel is. Yeah. Yep. And uh, you know, so with the gospel, when we look at the, the kind of the overall flow of it, we see that the you know we have Yeshua comes preaching the gospel. Uh, which is, uh, you know, when, we, when he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom, you know, a lot of people ask the question, what is the kingdom of God? It's it's God's kingdom. <laughs> right? it's, it's, it's not that hard. Yeah, I know. But, you know, when you don't know your terms, you know, you create a new, something new. But, you know, it's there's so many books out there that they've, They've had to write trying to, to define what God's kingdom is, and it's like, yeah, it's it's God taking back control of the earth. It's it's not, uh, it's not rocket science. Yeah. Uh, but the way that he does this is is completely different than any other king in history because we and we expect and, and Israel for sure expected in the first century for God's kingdom to be established through domination, through violence. Yeah. Military, yeah. Military means. Yeah. And yet God's kingdom comes through extremely subversive means, uh, allowing himself, Yeshua allows himself to be put to death by the very enemy that he's supposed to defeat. Uh, because, and, and the, the big big thing is, of course, is because Rome isn't the true enemy. The true enemy is human evil. It's, it's death itself that yeah. is being defeated. And the only way to defeat death is to be resurrected. And so we, we see the resurrection, and, and this is kind of where I'm, I'm trying to go with tying this into the parables. The resurrection, and Paul does an amazing job at speaking of this, especially in Romans chapter 3, that the resurrection is the righteousness of God. It's, it's God, Yeshua allows himself to be put to death because ultimately, while, while it seemed that he was on trial, it's actually... The people who are crucifying him, who are being put on trial, when he's being put to death, right? And and God is going to render the verdict of one party is innocent and one party is guilty, and so the innocence is shown by both through Yeshua's resurrection, and this is where it becomes important, but also through the annihilation of those who came against him. Yeah. No, that's and, good. I mean, and really, we would say the resurrection is the ultimate act of, of subversiveness against empire. Oh, know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Hebrew, Hebrews 2 talks about that. Um, Hebrews, one of my favorite verses, 
out there, Hebrews 2.14, speaks of uh, that Yeshua, through, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's absolutely, uh, you know, a, a, all about this destroying death and completely subverting the power of these empires whose, whose power was death. So I, I think in line with that, we could argue that the parables and, and his use of the parables was to kind of upend world empire as well, because the stories, they would have been familiar to the people, but they always had an ending that was a twist. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's important to point out because yeah, there are uh, like the one that comes to mind is the parable of the vineyard, right? Uh, the the parable of the vineyard. We anyone who would have heard that as soon as they hear about a man who has a vineyard, they are immediately going to be thinking of Isaiah chapter five. Exactly. Right? The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is Israel, and the men of Judah were his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, and behold, bloodshed, righteousness, and behold, an outcry. And so they're going to be thinking of that, and Yeshua subverts that by saying, actually, right now, the, the, the vineyard is actually producing. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah. Rather, rather oh. than creating bloodshed and outcry, the vineyard is doing what it's supposed to be doing, but the people in charge are the problem or not. Yeah, exactly. So he's all, you know, all through the, that message through the parables is, is speaking against the, the rulers of the day that are oppressing the people. And, uh, you know, also, I mean, how can you, you can't sort of remove Noah out of the equation, kind of a restoration of, of that as well. Um, yep. All yep. these little pictures that come to bear. So yeah, the, the parables seem to me a, a great example of what we've been talking about, about sub, you know, subverting power at that time. So that's the undercurrent, you know, and you, you sort of wonder, I mean, it, it, most of the people, you know, were getting it, but I imagine the rulers and the movers and shakers uh, were the ones not getting it. Uh, and it's interesting because the more I've, I've, understood scripture from this subversive point of view that it's it's not about uh destroying our enemies but it's about uh subverting these powers that, you know it's not about this overt violence um that's really changed my perspective a lot yes i would agree so we owe uh, a little bit of this to brian walsh right subversive christianity <laughs> which yep. uh, really really got me going on that. I know, I mean, N.T. Wright does uh, talk of it a little bit, but there's, I see more and more scholars kind of aiming in that direction. And mm -hmm. I think it's, a, an, it's really important because as we've talked about before, Israel finds herself oppressed by foreign rulers almost from day one. I mean, she's oppressed under those rulers more than she's free. She, she doesn't really even know, you know, except for very brief periods of time of what it's like to be free. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we see Israel uh, in, in this time of oppression. God doesn't come and destroy her enemies. He doesn't come and kill all the people that she wants to be right. killed off. He actually is, is actually doing most of the judgment within Israel. It turned out yeah. that, that inside of Israel is the biggest issue. And and so this is where our, I'm going to get a little controversial here, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, our podcast. We don't have to worry about that. That's right. <laughs> but nobody's taking this baby down. <laughs> when you look at the parables and you look at the teaching of Yeshua, he's not teaching uh, about some sort of a, uh, we need to go out and and uh, fight people. I mean, t I'm talking today. There's there's a lot of, unfortunately, there's a lot of people who have this this ideology that, uh, you know, he, first he came as the lamb and now he's coming back as the lion. To to quote um, some of these uh, promo videos and stuff I've seen, that's not what the parables are telling us. <laughs> uh, the parables are are 
talking about a different type of power, a different way of the world working. And, uh, you know, and another thing to kind of step on people's toes a little bit is, as I talked about, you know, I, I fully believe that the Gospels and the, the entire New Testament tells the story of how Yeshua is king right here and now. Yes. And for yes, a lot I of agree. a lot of people, that has been a, a point of argument with me. And yet, when you look at the parables, that, that's the story that he's talking about. You know, when he talks about the kingdom of God is like leaven that's put into bread. It's like a seed that's planted in the soil. It, it's being told in this story of how it's not this sudden inbreaking, but it's something that's going to to slowly grow and slowly rise, and you're slowly going to see. And you you think about bread. If you just sat there and watched bread, you're never going to see it really rise. Right. Um, but if you were to to look at it and then come back the next day or the next hour or however long, right? You're going to yeah. be able to see the difference, but it's not something that you observe with the naked eye. And so, yeah, I mean, I that, that's where I've just become more and more confident in the New Testament message that, yes, Yeshua is king, but no, we're not really going to be able to see it on a day-to-day -day level. We're going to be able to see it like he, he tells in these parables, right. only by comparing previous times in history. Yeah, I think that, you know, as we've talked about the kingship message, it's absolutely critical to the parables, really. And so much of the, many of the parables are dealing with kingship, you know, even in talking about a tree or something, it, it's addressing that. And that's why I did the series, you know, from exile to return, because we are in, in process. I, I would argue that as we, um, as our own life, as we become a new creation, we ourselves have moved out of exile, you know, into return into the into the kingdom. And so as each individual is is experiencing that, I think the same thing can be said about the whole earth. It, you know, it's interesting too that the parables don't there's no no details. It's, they are not a historical perspective. You know, we're not going back in history and we're saying this is this king and this is what you know, this is this person. Like, we don't really get any details about people or events. I mean, they're purposely yeah. neutral, you know. And and the typical opinion on parables is sort of, sort of that they teach a moral. You know, there's, I always heard, you know, when I was studying that they had one point, you know, and that and then that was the only point there was, and you really couldn't look at it any other way. And so yeah. what, what we're saying now is, you know, there are multiple filters for these parables and there are many dimensions. Ultimately, in some way, they are dealing with Israel and her release from bondage and her, you know, the ultimate jubilee of, you know, God becoming king, as you as you've been saying. So, you know, of course, Yeshua used the familiarity of their world um, and addressed, you know, th their station of life. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and they... Again, a lot of times, too, um, the parables could have different, you know, possible endings. And the hearers could choose, you know, which ending works best for them. But, you know, Yeshua's message, of course, is to, to follow the way of peace or for, for people to become the light of the world, which, as you yeah. were saying, you know, not it, it wasn't about taking control militaristically and bringing the wrath of God down and destroying everything around them. Like that, yeah. they, you know, they weren't saying that. Yeah, and that, you know, so what you just said there about open, you know, it, it being kind of open-ended in a sense, um, I think we really see that maybe in the best, the best place I can think of right off the top of my head is the parable of the the prodigal son. And you notice, you, you know, the son, this father has two children, and really the the younger son is actually the more i've studied it, the younger son is actually kind of a setup for the older son okay. <laughs> um, and, and bear me out here because we kind of know what happens with the younger son right he he allows himself to be found he goes into the party with his father and, and it's kind of assumed that he you know is 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 now part of the family but then the older son he equally shows disloyalty to his father, he refuses to come into the party. He's angry at his father, and when he speaks, then he's extremely rude to him. 
And right. the you know the father he also extends this invitation to come back to to be to rejoin the family, as it were. And we never we never find out what happens to him. Right. And uh, and the the reason I propose is we've got to look at the context. Why did why did Yeshua tell this parable? And when you go to Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. So the telling of this parable is in response to the Pharisees and the scribes complaining that Yeshua receives sinners and eats with them. So it's interesting that in the parable, the father of the par in the parable, he receives a sinner, his younger son, and eats with him, and the older son is complaining about it. <laughs> and I, I think your point is well taken because we don't tend to... So, you know, you think about what Yeshua did in the temple. <laughs> I mean, he was yeah. always railing against these guys, overturning tables, etc., I mean, it seems to me his main mission was to deal with the temple leadership and their corruption. And so a lot of the, the stories that are being told are going to pit sort of the rulers and the, the ruling class against the folks. And mm -hmm. that how he, as the king, came for the folks, which is, wasn't normal at that time. You know, the king was going to sit in his, on his throne in his ivory tower and really have no connection or relationship to the people. So I think, yeah. it's, and, and it seemed, you know, I know you've done a lot of work on that particular parable and, uh, you know, I've heard your teaching several times. So it confirms to me that, you know, this is all kind of tucked away. This is that hidden stuff in there. And so I'm guessing the folks would have embraced the message, right? Yeah. And, and the leadership that, you know, so you have the temple leadership, but I mean, here we have the Pharisees. We're not told which house of Pharisees, but Pharisees right. and scribes are their religious leadership. And yeah, like you said, they're used to having that position of authority. Their, their thought process would have been, well, when, when King Messiah comes, uh, we're going to be the go-betweens between the king and the people. And right. he's, he's completely circumventing that entire exactly. system. And they're upset about it. And so he tells them this this parable with this open-ended ending, which which is actually a call for them to respond. It's, hey, exactly. what are you going to do about it now? Yeah. And so I would say that's one thing that we got to look at with the parables is that they're the parables aren't just good moral stories. They're a call to action. They're a call to respond. You're supposed to read these and not feel good about yourself, but they're supposed to change something about you yeah, yeah um, i mean dealing with their behavior like this has got to change mm -hmm. the, well i think I, it just uh, just as an aside because in the ancient world the whole point was you know your temple was on the mountain king on top of mountain and the priests were the ones that were going to be the mediators between the folks at the bottom of the mountain and the king at the top you know so that's the you know the pharisees scribes they're supposed to serve in that capacity but you know they have um, they have basically enslaved the people. And yeah. uh, so, I, I mean, it's, yeah, so if we can kind of, you know, we want to expand how we, how we view, the, uh, how we view the, the parables. Again, there's always this twist. There's sort of an, it's a familiar story. Like they had their stories in the day. And I imagine that, you know, these itinerant preachers going around, you know, Israel, a lot of them would sort of tell the same story because they would it would be familiar with. And here comes Yeshua, and he just throws out the possibility of this other ending to a familiar story. And now they've got to, you know, they got to deal with it. And uh, and we're so, you know, I think that they a lot of these rabbinic stories that I know I've read a number of them written back from that period of time, and then I would see one that was similar to what Yeshua was saying. And then I'm looking at the ending going, oh, my goodness, you know, that's that's a completely yeah. different ending. Well, that and that's the whole idea of subversive um, storytelling, which which the Bible's and, and I mean, I know, you know, this because <laughs> you've taught on it. I've heard you teach on it <laughs> is is how the Bible stories I mean, throughout the Bible, that the creation story, the flood story, 
many of these stories are very similar to other stories that pre-existed before them. And it, it doesn't make them not true, but the, it, we've got to understand that the story had been told one way, and the Bible comes along and it tells it in a different way in order to subvert, because these stories weren't being told just because people wanted to know what happened in past history. These stories were told to tell them something about their own world. Right. And so when the Bible comes along and tells the creation story, and rather than people, humanity being created for cheap slave labor, but humanity being created in the image of God, well, that completely subverts the power structure of the nations in that era. Yeah, I mean, they need something to make sense of their world, because their world was unfair and unjust. Their kings were unfair, you know. And so along comes a king who is perfectly righteous, you know, exercises justice perfectly. I mean, imagine what that looked like you know, to the nations at large at the time. And then yeah. to see people functioning in a completely different environment. Like there would be, have been no other people group at the time that this could be compared to. Uh, and so, as you say, you know, all of the stories this, of the surrounding nations uh, were similar, but yet here comes a story that's completely different. And it's, I mean, it's not just a story, but it is, uh, you know, God again, uh, moving in their midst in a completely different way. Mm -hmm. yeah, so what, pretty, it must be pretty, I mean, it would have been really exciting. And, you know, yet you see them kind of sometimes not getting that. Yeah. One thing is to kind of carry on with what we've been talking here, that I want to point out is when we when we read these parables, we need to not read them in isolation as simply the parable itself. Uh, we need to look at what's going on around it in the text because oftentimes it's it's the narrative. It's something that happened in the narrative that drives the parable and helps you understand that. And I know you know so to to give an example of this where I really got messed up is I was asked to, to try to, uh, for one of my classes, interpret the, uh, the whole episode of the, uh, the casting out of the money changers, right? Okay. Which, which is actually a parable. We'll, and we'll get into this uh, later on, probably yeah. actually, you know, we should probably do a whole episode on that one in particular, okay. But it's, it's what's called a dramatic action parable. He's acting out a parable. Rather than telling a parable, he's enacting, yeah. basically he's enacting the destruction of the temple. Uh, is right. From my, my right. perspective there. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And he, he goes out afterwards and he, cur or sorry, he, he curses the fig tree. Or, or sorry, no, he, he inspects the fig tree and then he goes in and he inspects the temple he casts out the money changers, and then he comes out and he curses the fig tree. <laughs> and that's classic ancient Near East language, because the fig tree at that time represented the kings of Judah, and you know, and they're coming down. And then yeah. he's the rightful ruler in the temple, <laughs> and he's so going to take authority. Yeah, and so when you look at it, when you look at it as a whole, rather than just trying to only look at that fig tree thing. But if you look at what's going on around, it suddenly informs us of just how important that is. Well, and again, it, it tells us because we are so good at taking things out of context. We don't ever seem to, we, it would not occur to too many people to look at the parables in context. And, yeah. and that's what I tried to do in my series is, you know, uh, the one from Exile to Return, because I kept noticing a pattern when the parable came up, you know, there was something speaking about them being in exile and coming out and the exodus and, and somehow the, the parable was sandwiched in there. And I'm going, I think I see a pattern here. And uh, mm -hmm. so I think as we go through some of the parables and we will in later programs and we'll go through them in more detail that we have to remember what's going on contextually, or I think we, you know, we're guilty of then falling into the traditional way of viewing it that there's, you know, he just pops in and there's a bunch of people and he tells a story and it's got a different ending and, you know, choose your ending and he's going to move on, you know, yeah. and 
let's look for one you know message in the in the parable and and that's kind of it the sum total and that you can see i hope people can see through our conversation there's so much more here yeah yeah the, the more i've studied this it's just it's just <laughs> it's never ending yeah. yeah well i think we should maybe mention too i mean uh we do have there are some examples of parables in the Old Testament, I think there are way more than what people traditionally say are the parables. Mm -hmm. And honestly, if we look at the, the Proverbs is the same word, essentially, uh, the plural Mishle comes from the root Mashal, which of course means rulership or dominion. And, you know, right at, there out of Genesis 1.16, talking about God making the two great lights and the idea of rulership. And so um, it, it I think the Proverbs are, you know, I would look at them really as a bunch of parables and could fall in, I think, my opinion that in, you know, in wisdom literature, if we had to stick it in a box of a literary genre, I would say it was in the wisdom literature box. I don't know. You might think differently. Um, yeah, I think especially if you look at them uh, at in a... So, uh, so while you're talking about that, I was thinking of, I don't remember the exact place in Proverbs where, you know, where it has the, the two conflicting Proverbs right next to each other. Do you answer a fool according to his folly or uh, not answer a fool? Right, right, right. A lot of them are like that too. Yeah. And, and that, yeah, that's, that's one where you have them, them right next to each other, but there's a lot of, uh, of uh, Proverbs and this would be a, an interesting study uh, where you know, earlier on in the book of Proverbs, it'll say one thing, and then later on it says basically the, the opposite. Right. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and so the idea there is, as we've talked about before, is that it, it's wisdom. It's not supposed to be taken as, you, you shouldn't take the Proverbs and say, see, this is, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child. Aha, see, this is a biblical commandment that you're to beat your children. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's not for every day, all time, for all of human history. It, it, you have an opportunity to choose which one works in the situation that you're in. Yeah. And so, so that kind of brings me to the slide that I've been staring at that I wanted to... Uh, <laughs> I was trying to figure out the perfect place to insert it into the conversation. Okay. Apparently, uh, we have arrived. So th this is uh, this is something I because I've, I've kind of done several different teachings on parables and so this is one that I've used in basically all my introductions and this is uh, this is a quote from uh, the book by Dr. Kenneth Bailey his his book is called Jesus through the through Middle Eastern eyes okay and so this is what he writes I, I just for me this is just the perfect explanation of a parable personally uh, it says. A metaphor is not an illustration of an idea. It is a mode of theological discourse. A metaphor does more than explain meaning, it creates meaning. A parable is an extended metaphor, and as such is not a delivery system for an idea, but is a house in which the reader or listener is invited to take up residence. The listener and reader of the parable is encouraged to examine the human predicament through the world view created by the parable. Wow, that's great. And you think that's about powerful. that, it, it's, it's like what you said at the beginning, it's not the parable, there's not one interpretation. There, there are bad interpretations, of course, to parables. Right. <laughs> but there's not <laughs> one interpretation because the, the whole idea was not to have you know one single point being made but to you know for example the the parable of the lost sheep yeshua is not trying to tell them hey shut up i'm going to eat with them anyways which was I and mean, he was in a sense kind of telling them that but that was he was trying to get them to enter into and consider the world from a different perspective what, what we might call empathize with the sinners and the tax collectors empathize with these people who've been dehumanized Mm -hmm. and yeah yeah it's it's like it's for me it's like wow you know the the parables are something that i i it's it's like uh one of those movies where you you get so 
wrapped up in it that afterwards you're sitting there thinking, even though you know it was a it was a fictional movie, you begin thinking about your own world and things that are messed up in your own world. Yeah, no, that I'm. I mean that that is an excellent description. I'll have to get a copy of that. Well, it makes me think. You know, if you look at the beginning of Proverbs, which you know, let's say the Proverbs, son of David. Um, but if you think of it like we're talking in terms of parables, I mean, there's a list of stuff there, um, you know, to acquire wisdom and discipline and to understand words of insight and to receive instruction and in wise behavior and righteousness and justice and fairness and to give discernment to the naive and to give knowledge and discretion to the youth and to understand these sayings, these sort of wise sayings that are sometimes they're called, you know, riddles because, um, you know, sometimes they can have two meanings. Again, these riddles, uh, if you think about this description here and the whole point of, you know, how, how does one build a house that we see in, in the book of Proverbs? Well, it is through wisdom. And so really parables are, are, again, I would say wisdom literature and imparting that kind of wisdom on how to live. And mm -hmm. so you don't, you know, no piece of information or no, or no sort of instruction on how to, it doesn't work in every situation all the time. You have to use yeah. wisdom to figure out what's going to work in this one and what's going to work in that one. And I think this is one of our problems is because we just, we're so locked into a commandment in, an, in, its, uh, um, in observing it that, and we're trying to force it into a box that sometimes it doesn't fit in. And we're unwilling yeah. to say, well, you know, maybe, uh, you know, we need to try something else here. I mean, I'm not trying to say we're upending the, the, the commandments, but you can't force them in a box. No, that's that, that's absolutely right. And, I, and yeah, so this could come across wrong as, hey, we're not supposed to keep the commandments. And that's not what right. you're saying. That's not what I'm saying either. Uh, but the reality is, is that almost all of these commands, first off, most of the commandments are very vague. I, I did a whole teaching on the Ten Commandments. Not uh -huh. a single one of those is clear. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, thou shalt not murder. Well, who? Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, when, where? What how? Is, why? What is what is murder? Uh, <laughs> what what if what if I don't commit the murder? What if I just demand lower gas prices at the pump, and so the United States government goes to war and takes over another country? in order to satisfy my demand for lower gas prices. Okay, is that murder? Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I, I, just, I just went from one end of the spectrum to the other there, yeah. right? But that's, that's uh, and uh, who was it? Uh, Dennis Prager, who you've met, I'm very jealous of. <laughs> you know, he does an amazing job of just bringing out the Ten Commandments and saying, these are not simple commands. These are, these are things, you know, this is not a list of do's and don'ts. This is an invitation to have a huge discussion of what is it, what is, it, you know, because yeah, it's it's easy to say, don't just kill someone, you know, with your bare hands out of out of hate. But there's a lot more things that are murder. In fact, some of the most prolific murders, probably, I mean, Hitler. How many people did he actually kill? Probably himself, not that yeah. many. Yeah, himself, right. he probably didn't kill that many. But he's responsible for the death of millions and millions of people. I, I think it's a fair point too, because. <clears throat> It seems like, and really our culture has descended to the same place, is we simply cannot have a discussion about stuff. You know, if you're going to have to pass a policy, enact some sort of policy for, you know, a, a community or whatever, anymore there's no discussion. You have, you know, whoever's in power, they decide that's a policy, they rubber stamp it, we move on. And mm -hmm. no, there's no place for, you know, to come to some sort of agreement, uh, you know, you have your position, I have mine, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't want to get into the whole weeds, compromise and all that sort of thing. But there, we have, we're at that place, we're in a very dangerous place in which we can't have a discussion about anything. And then one side just lords it over the other and totally oppresses the other side. And I think we're in danger of doing the same thing with the scriptures. Yep. Um, I did want to mention something kind of because uh, in that first chapter in Proverbs, it, I mean, it, it talks about, you know, um, understanding the sayings of the wise and their riddles, which I thought, well, that's interesting. Um, he does kind of the word for riddles and 
and it comes from the Hebrew word. Some some of you might recognize yachad or yachid, which which is one. So the idea of a riddle was basically to separate the hearer from the teller. So you divide the two up. And the goal of the riddle was to bring the two together. The answer to the riddle was supposed to bring the two together. And mm. it made me think of, I would maintain that the, the story um, in, uh, where is it, somewhere in Kings, First Kings with um, Solomon, you know, the first... So he, he, he asks for wisdom, he's given wisdom, and now he's got to deal with the two prostitutes and the two babies and the one dies. And, and you know, he responds with, take a sword and divide the kid in half and give each. And I would maintain that is a riddle or that is a parable. Like, I don't personally think that's an actual situation on the ground, but we have an example here. And again, this idea of separating the two in order to bring them together and answer the question by uniting them. Now, some have argued that perhaps the two prostitutes could be dealing with the two how the house of Israel and the house of, of Judah. I don't really know, or it could be dealing with the two cities, Samaria and Jerusalem. You know, something along those lines. But again, it, uh, I find that really interesting. Yeah, and that so that reminded me of uh, what's the the guy who's who's possibly sacrifice Jephthah right who sacrifices his daughter yeah I would agree yes yes um, and and so that you know that story a lot of people have have taken issue with the story um, but I you know whether or not this the story actually historically happened I don't think either way the Bible is condoning what he did there right <laughs> it's right. it's it's one of those stories that's asking you to to you know again to enter into the story, enter into the world, take up residence in that world, and consider the human predicament. Yeah, it's absurd that someone would actually sacrifice their daughter. Uh, right. And the Bible's not—the Bible's not saying that's what sh people should do. But the reality is, is that people make absurd choices like that all the time. Oftentimes, in response to thinking they're keeping the commandments, mm -hmm. and. Yeah. Uh, you, I mean, look at look at what happens to Yeshua being crucified by people who thought that they were doing the will of God. Right. And on uh, into the crusades, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and end. Yeah. I think and, there are a lot more parables in the Old Testament than we actually know. And mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot of the parables, in my opinion, are in the book of Judges. Like, I think that book is filled with parables. And of yeah. course, you know, we're dealing with judges, we're dealing with the ruler, you know, we're dealing with wisdom, and it's a time where everyone's doing what they want, you know, in their own eyes, what they think is best. Like, I would maintain the story, you know, the Levite who goes, gets the concubine and takes her back to um, uh, in the uh, tribe of Ephraim and where the tabernacle is, right, in Shiloh, and, and then he yeah. chops her up into 12 pieces and sends her you know, each part to the different, different tribe. Like, I would maintain that was a parable. And of course, yeah. once again, dealing with the nation of Israel. So yeah. I think there's a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, I was just thinking about, I mean, the entire book of Jonah uh, is, and, and again, some people get kind of upset. Well, is it, a, is it a true story or not? You can't prove one way or the other whether the, the, the story of Jonah is true. It's, you know, or is, is historically accurate. You know, I've seen them trying to, oh, we, we we found a whale that swallowed a human being was in in like the uh, the, the news, sto news stories of the 1800s and stuff like that. As if we need like some sort of, uh, you know, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for here? <laughs> As if we need some sort of evidence that whales swallow humans in order to gain knowledge and wisdom from the story of Jonah. Uh, yeah. the, the the story of Jonah has nothing to do with whether or not whales will swallow a person up. It's asking you to to look at, uh, and, and you know, again, it's one of those multiple perspectives, but one of the big ones I took away from, because I think that the story is really kind of aimed at really the people around the, the, the ideology of the Judeans in the first century. Uh, yeah. and, and that is, I mean, Jonah is sent... To this wicked city, they're told he he tells them to repent or they're going to be destroyed. And rather than killing him like he thinks they're going to do, they repent so hard 
that their animals actually put on sackcloth and ashes and repent. And he gets upset about it. <laughs> he gets upset about it and basically like starts getting angry at God because God didn't punish the people that he thought should be punished. And that's the exact things, same thing going on in the first, I mean, that's, that's the thing that's going yes. on with the, the, uh, the Pharisees and the tax or the, the Pharisees and the scribes in the, the, uh, prodigal son story. They're right. upset that these people are getting forgiven. Right. Right. No. And I've read, I mean, I've read a couple of scholars who, uh, basically hold that view. I mean, we don't really know, uh, you know, it talks about, of course, going to Nineveh. So we would assume it's the Assyrians or whatever, but I've read that, that, that is possibly, you know, post Babylonian exile story. And, you know, whether it's in reaction to the Babylonian, you know, the Syrians or whatever, but the point there being that he's frustrated that some in the nations, you know, have actually repented. And yeah, uh, yeah I, I think that I, I mean, our goal in all of this is just to give you permission to think differently about things. You know, yeah. it, it's okay. And, uh, our goal also is to encourage you to do your homework, you know, do your research, make sure you know, and the world in which you speak. Um, but it's okay to, to think outside the box and to think differently because really that, you know, that's how Jews are, <laughs> you know, yeah. we're, we're outside the box thinkers. And, uh, and I think, you know, if, I think as long as you understand the big picture, you know, everything here is just going to fit in there quite nicely. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's true about all of the Bible. I'd say the more, the more you get into the culture, the contexts, trying to just get engrossed yourself in that world, learn, you know, like, like you said, learn the language, not, not the, the Hebrew, Greek, or Aramaic, but learn the, the language, the idioms, the expressions, uh, all of those things of that ancient world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, one little example here. I was, I was, uh, when I was preparing for this thing, I was talking about the gospel and salvation and how salvation is not basically, uh, you know, I believe this story and therefore I'm saved, but it actually has to do with allegiance, which includes doing works, but, but not works in the sense of, I kept the 613 commandments, but works of obedience. And so right. of course I bring up James, right? Show me your I, you know, uh, show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. And then he launches in the story about Abraham being justified by works. And it was interesting. He ends it by saying, Abraham was called a friend of God. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I, I had never, I hadn't read this, the whole verse here in quite a while. And as soon as I saw that phrase, the friend of God, immediately I knew what he's talking about. Right. Caesar. If you were if you were loyal to Caesar, you would be called the friend of Caesar. <laughs> yeah, so this this term, that. the friend of God, is, is uh, counter cultural to this idea of the friend of Caesar. And so the you know he's called the friend of God, meaning he was called someone who's loyal to God. Yeah, and they, that's really I mean that's your covenant obligation. That's that's a covenant language right there. So yeah. who? Who are you in covenant with? <laughs> Who? And I really have appreciated, you know, your sharing about, you know, the concept of the kingship and, and making allegiance through through terms that we see as abstract and, and subjective, you know, love and faith and things like that, which for us is just a feeling. But for them, you know, as you said, that that's that's a, decl a declaration of loyalty and allegiance to the king. Like we yeah. just don't have a clue. So uh, I yeah. think the purpose of the parables is to lead us there. Yeah. And, and if you understand obedience in terms of allegiance rather than obedience in terms of a checklist of commandments, that's and where, coming down. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. that's, that's where wisdom comes in. And that's, you know, the, just like you're talking there, uh, you, you can, you can have a checklist of the 613 commandments, but the reality is, is that most situations in life either fall outside of any of those 613 or they're going to cause you to violate one or the other, regardless of which path you choose. 
And so right. that's where wisdom comes into play. And wisdom is guided by your loyalty to the king and understanding what his, what are the weightier matters? What are the things that matter the most? And I mean, right there in the beginning of Proverbs, let me go right back there. He talks about uh, to receive the instruction of wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. Right. That's that's what wisdom is, and that's that's your loyalty to the king. Right, and the king is supposed to exercise those attributes, and we're supposed to learn from the king how to exercise those attributes in our own lives. I mean, that wisdom is being poured out from him to us as we are in covenant serving him and you know exercising our covenant obligations. Again, mm -hmm. all of it just goes back to kingship, and hopefully people will see how liberating this is. To me, this is so liberating. And, yeah. and as you draw near and you draw closer, you, you're trusting that, that he is going to impart his wisdom to you so that you can overcome in your own life. Yeah. And that's, that's why I personally believe it's so important for us to just dig in and study these stories. And like you said, look at them from a different perspective. Uh, it's so liberating to just read I like I, I read people who I don't agree with their ultimate outcomes I don't agree with uh, their I mean even their political views you know I'll read uh, liberal Jews I'll read liberal Christian theologians I'll read conservative Christian theologians but the you know it, it to me it doesn't matter I because I don't necessarily have to agree with their their overall um, their overall out uh, outcome of what they're trying to say but a lot of times they show me a different way to look at the verse in, in question and when you have that different perspective suddenly it opens up a whole different world of meaning that you can then explore through your own understanding and your own traditions yeah no i think that's good and again that i think that's the purpose of this show for people this program is to help mm -hmm. you navigate through this and give yourself permission to be able to think differently. Um, and no one's going to come beat you over the head and lock you up and tell you you're a heretic and <laughs> although they might, but that's okay. <laughs> Cause we've been called worse, right, Ryan? Um, so, oh, yeah. uh, so I think from here, you know, our next, we'll probably just uh, pick some parables and we'll just start breaking them down uh, through the culture, et cetera. And Ryan will have his perspective and I'll have mine. And then hopefully you guys can see, you know, there are, there's different ways to, to, to view it. But ultimately, everything comes back to uh, kingship, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Well, All right. Well, I think we've taken up a lot of time here and uh, we look forward. Uh, hopefully you guys will track with us. I think this is going to be a really good series. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have to figure out what we're going to where we're going to start next time, but I'm definitely looking forward to just digging in and getting some uh, different perspectives. So, okay. Well, thanks for, yeah. Thanks for doing the show. We'll see Thank you next you for time. Being on.